It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast with the Rain and Jays. Today it's me, Jay King from MassLive.com with Sam, a.k.a. Jam Packard from WEEI. John Corrales will be taking a little vacation. Uh, we, we, let him, we let him get away for a little while, you know. Even, even us guys who are addicted to basketball, fiends of the Boston Celtics, we we lo- we let each other get away for a little while. So so Sam's going to be with us this week. Uh, this 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 past couple of days, Hall of Fame weekend. Sam is in Philadelphia. What what was the spirit like there, Sam, with with the Allen Iverson induction this weekend? It was all AI all the time. Um, just you'd be at like sports bar and watching like Comcast Sportsnet. They'd be doing multiple packages on. The year, like the career of AI, the AI, the person, his relationship with Philly, um, comparing his relationship to Philly with Kobe's relationship to Philly, because Kobe, of course, played in uh, Lower Marion High School. The city's in love with Allen Iverson. I, I've been every single 76er jersey I've seen in my month and a half I've been in Philadelphia has either been AI or Moses Malone. No Ben Simmons, no Embiid, <laughs> no Nerlens Noel. It's all AI all the time. Does that mean they're not trusting the process yet? I haven't met any process truthers uh, <laughs> yet, but I feel like they're out there. I, actually, that's not true. I was hanging out last night with someone who was trying to convince me that if everything breaks right for the Sixers this year, they can make the playoffs. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let, let's calm down there, Philly. Relax. He was, he was quick to say that everything had to break right. So, like, it was a very conditional statement. But there are some process truthers. But no Simmons jerseys. All It's all Allen Iverson all the time, at least this past weekend. Yeah, it, what I will say about Allen Iverson is he has maybe the most passionate fan base that I, I've seen. And I, I've covered – I didn't cover the Hall of Fame induction the year that Michael Jordan was there, which I'm sure it, it was ridiculous in Springfield at Symphony Hall where they have it. But I've covered maybe three or four Hall of Fame induction ceremonies – and Allen Iverson's fan base was by far the craziest. <laughs> and, I mean, there were just Iverson jerseys everywhere. Everyone just so excited. When he broke down during his speech, and he broke down often because he's an emotional guy, and you knew it was going to be like this raw speech. And his speech was perfect, but we'll get to that. His fans, man, like they just, every time he was ready to cry, they just went nuts and started cheering and kind of lifted him back up. And there's not a lot of guys who have that relationship. And obviously, like, his time in Philadelphia, like, there were ups and downs. It was kind of like the Paul Pierce. Not exactly like Paul Pierce in Boston. But he was a guy, like, he, he grew up in Philly. He screwed up in Philly. And I think, to an extent, when, when you get through that and you get past that, 
and and you evolve from that young guy who makes so many mistakes, it, it draws the city closer to you. And I think it happened with Paul Pierce and it happened with Iverson in Philadelphia. And I, I said I would get back to his speech. His speech was I think, per- I think that Iverson, Iverson man. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go, go, no, go ahead. I was just going to say I, the, the thing that I think really makes him like bonded to the city is just dragging that, what was it, 2001 Sixers team where they had no business in the finals and kind of made the Sixers relevant again. And uh, it seems like if if you're not the Eagles in this town, as long as you like win a little bit, the town is immediately going to fall in love with you. And that's like everyone kind of remembers, at least in the people, the Sixers fan I've been talking to is that that one finals run is that's like that's where they that love was solidified. Yeah, and and I was watching that team play uh, on Hardwood Classics the last week. There were tons and tons of old Philadelphia 76ers games on Hardwood Classics because Iverson was getting enshrined. But that team, like, they they didn't have many scores, but they had so many good role players, like Aaron McKee, Eric Snow, Rajah Bell, Dikembe Mutombo. Like, those guys, like, they had unbelievable defenders and i think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle and iverson broke down while talking about the impact those guys had on his career and how he wouldn't have been inducted in the hall of fame without those guys but we don't want to talk about eric snow and aaron mckee too much iverson's speech man i would say this his whole weekend was perfectly iverson like he shows up late to the Hall of Fame press conference. Who does that? It was his own <laughs> Hall of Fame press conference. Like you make sure you get there a day before if you have to. Get there two days before. Just absurd. And and he kind of missed it. And everyone was like, "What the hell, Allen?" And then he shows up to the press conference super late. Like gets there like the last fifteen minutes of it. And he starts talking about his teammates. And he breaks down and he's weeping, talking about all the people who helped him get there. And it's like. All right, Alan, you're forgiven. And it was like kind of that that sequence was kind of symbolic of his whole career. Like he screwed up so many times and people forgave him because he was so genuine and so raw and so likable. So Alan Iverson, man, there will never be another guy like him. That speech. He's, I mean, he's calling out Dipset. He's, <laughs> he's calling out every friend he ever met with like – like their their little name like nicknames for him i mean he he was he said a few inside jokes that nobody knew what the hell he was talking about uh, he made a Dave Chappelle reference just an absurd speech and it was really good it was a great speech uh but only Iverson could have given a speech like that 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 bounced to so many places that it went to it was completely genuine it was that was, that was the best fact is like i like those inside jokes that i have no idea what he's talking about cuz that's just him being real Whereas compared to the like the Shaq speech, that was basically like uh, like a B minus stand up comedy routine. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> <laughs> the the Kobe joke was pretty funny, man, and I, I I thought Shaq's speech was pretty good. I, I, the one speech that didn't get enough credit and it was never going to because of all the guys he was getting inducted alongside was Tom Izzo's man. Tom Izzo gave a heartfelt speech. I actually was driving with my family and my mom my dad and one of my brothers and i made them listen to the tom izzo speech and my mom went into it like i don't want to listen to this jay like i don't care (laughs) (laughs) by the end of it she was crying man tom izzo's speech was was really powerful really emotional 
And nobody cared because he was with Yao Ming, Shaquille O'Neal, and Allen Iverson. It was like, in a, in a normal headlining class, Tom Izzo would have been like the top guy. But because he went in in this power-packed, absolutely loaded class, it just, it he was kind of overlooked. I almost felt bad for Tom Izzo. Like, that should have been, he should have been like a hero on that night. And he was just kind of overlooked. And, I mean, his speech was great. We'll stop talking about Tom Izzo. We've probably spent enough time talking about the Hall of Fame enshrinement. I well, I want to ask to... you a few questions about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Well, because you said you've been to, like, what, three or four of these? Is this, like, what's it like to be at the event? Is it you're basically being herded around to different things? Is it like, a large press contingent? I don't really have a sense. I've only been to the Hall of Fame, actually, once, so I don't really have a sense of, like, what's the weekend like? What's the vibe? Okay, so... Thursday they have a press conference and it's just guys give very very short speeches receive their jackets and then they go upstairs and each each person who's getting inducted sits at a table and you can sit there and ask them questions and it's just basically like storytelling with those guys and it was really cool last year because Tommy Heinsohn was getting inducted and not a lot of people wanted to talk to him so I was just sitting there like with a few other guys just reminiscing with Tommy Heinsohn and it, it was it was really cool to just hear him tell stories about his life his career and with Shaq it was a little tougher so many guys wanted to talk to Shaq and it wasn't like just sitting there talking talking with him it was more of like a question and answer session but yeah it was it was still really cool so they all sit at different tables and you can go around for, for to different tables and it's like Man, could they just have their own half hour instead of all sitting there at the same half hour? Like, I want to talk to all these guys. Like, I want to go pick Tom Izzo's brain. I want to see Allen Iverson when he's weeping talking about his teammates. I want to hear Shaq describe what it was like playing with so many great players from Kobe Bryant to LeBron to Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen. Like, Steve Nash, he played with so many ridiculously great players, and he was maybe in his prime better than any of them so you just want to talk to everybody and there's so much history in the room it, it's really really a cool thing to do and then the the induction night is friday and you just go and watch guys come up the red carpet and it's like everybody's there draymond green comes walking up because tom Izzo's there and yao ming pops out of this huge limousine with tom thibodeau and I didn't. I forgot they even had a connection. But Thibodeau was the Rockets' basically defensive coordinator under Jeff Van Gundy, and apparently he used to go to China and spend big portions of his summer working with Yao Ming, and so so they became really tight. And so it's like everybody. Phil Jackson comes walking up, and it's like all these guys that are just people's heroes walking into the red carpet in Springfield, Massachusetts, man, which. No offense, I, I grew up right near Springfield. It's it's not the nicest city, and it's definitely not a place that would host so many ridiculous stars uh, on a, a normal basis. But the Hall of Fame is there, and one weekend a year, Springfield is the basketball capital of the world. It it's 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 awesome, and it's great to be there. And so they just go after that. They go through the speeches, and the the media is like in a, a back room on the balcony. And I just watch the speeches on TV, actually. Like, I can, I can hear the crowd reacting uh, from inside the Symphony Hall. But 
but I watched the the actual speeches on TV. So it, it, it's it's really a neat scene, and for for somebody who loves basketball, it's like like just ridiculous to be in the presence of, of so much greatness and see every. I mean, everybody walked. Jay Billis walked in, and, and nobody even noticed because. It was like, oh, it's just Jay Billis. Like, just Jay <laughs> Billis? That guy's the best college basketball analyst in the world. He was an unbelievable player at Duke. Like, <laughs> it's just unreal, the guys that get overshadowed uh, because there's just so much greatness there. So where, where's the, where are all the cele- basketball celebrities going out on Friday night after the induction ceremony? That's what I want to know. Where's the, I, what's the Springfield hotspot? I think Allen Iverson um, rented out a place for a party. And... I'm sure other guys go to different places. And you weren't on the invite list? <laughs> uh, sadly, sadly, I didn't, I didn't make the cut, man. AI, AI's got to invite me next time he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. You got to step up your networking game, man. Get that invite. Yeah, yeah. I, I blew that one. Maybe one year. Maybe one year, man. <laughs> goals. Goals for next year. Life goals. Squad goals. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll move on. We're going to talk about just a couple Boston Celtics things. First, Jalen Brown's trainer came out. And Jalen Brown's trainer is also Jimmy Butler's trainer. And he sort of compared the two, or or at least like not compared the two. Uh, but he mentioned Jimmy Butler while saying one area he thinks that Jalen Brown can become what he said deadly in. And this is from Chris Johnson, Jalen Brown's trainer. I'm going to read the quote. For a kid like Jalen, it's footwork, balance, his ability to play off the catch, his ability to get into an attack position and score efficiently off of one and two dribbles. You don't get a bunch of dribbles in the NBA. I also feel like Jalen has an opportunity to be able to have a deadly mid-post game, like other big guards. Right now, Jimmy Butler is really deadly on his mid-post game. Do you want Jalen Brown to like be focused on a, a mid-post game right now, Sam? No, I want him to be able to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but I, okay but par, part of developing a mid post game is becoming a great shooter out of the mid post and if you if you become a great shooter from there it's the same mechanics that you're going to extend to the three point true true but but yeah l- like you said like like right away he's i don't think he's going to get that many options in the mid post like not like not one. in a Brad Stevens lineup Brad Stevens wants to win immediately he's not going to spend time having a Jalen Brown develop a mid-post game. This is going to be in a, I'm assuming, in a pace and space style lineup where he's going to be able to, when he gets the opportunity, he's either going to be shooting a three or closing out to the rim and attacking hard. It's not really, I don't think you're going to be calling a lot of like mid-post plays for Jalen Brown. Yeah, although I will say this. He's kind of already very good at attacking closeouts. In summer league, it was like, up fake guys guys would fly by or not even fly by like if they just got off balance a little bit and then just he would zoom by them it just super quick he's by you he's so athletic so strong you can't touch him he does need to become a better finisher and I I think finishing should be number one on his list and I know that he is working on that and eventually though that mid post game like it has been for Jimmy Butler, could be huge for him. Because Jalen Brown's a huge guy. He is 6'7", 220, with a 7-foot wingspan. He's already, at 19, just a, a physical force. One day, he is going to 
be able to destroy guys down there if he develops the shot and if he develops the footwork and if he develops all that that could be his bread and butter and there aren't going to be guys who can block his shot because he's going to be taller he's going to be stronger he's going to be able to shoot over you and in summer league he showed he can he can get a lot of separation like there were some step backs I, I think he had a step back over Pat Connaughton and it was like he created about eight feet of separation and he's going to be able to do that. He he's but now it's the footwork and staying on balance. And as you said, becoming a big shooter, be- becoming a shooter, being able to put the ball in the basket is huge for him. And I don't know when he's going to develop that. But before he becomes this mid-post Jimmy Butler, Kobe Bryant, whatever else type of killer, he he's got to be able to put the ball in the basket. Just to stay on the court, I'm, that's one of the biggest things I'm curious about is to see how Brad Stevens uses him. Because it seems Brad Stevens, if we know anything about him, is he's a Midwestern coaching robot. But if we know a second thing about him, <laughs> it's that he wants to win. And that I don't know how much time he's going to spend trying to really develop Jalen Brown's game, at least in the first season. It's gonna, it might be the type of thing where he's going to get, what, maybe 10, 12 minutes a game to start out. And if he doesn't produce right in those situations finishing at the rim you might not at least in season one might not get a chance to really develop those kind of those mid post moves i also thought it was weird like what an odd thing for the trainer to pick out like of one skill like that you're gonna say jalen brown's gonna become deadly at it's his mid post game like that's it seems kind of random but i guess that's what the trainer does he's the expert on this one well he also said we need him comfortable in the pick and roll whether it's side pick and roll, angle pick and roll, or slot pick and roll. We need him making corner threes. We take the concepts of what Boston already has in place, and I build that into Jalen's session. So they are working on all the things that the Celtics will need him to be good at right away. But they're also setting the table for the future and what Jalen Brown could look like two to three years from now. I, I thought that one thing you brought up was smart. That is the fact that Brad Stevens wants to win. And he's always made young guys earn their way onto the court. We've seen it with R.J. Hunter. We've seen it with James Young. We've seen it with Terry Rozier. He, Brad Stevens does not give a guy a role. Just because you were drafted in the first round does not mean you are going to make your way on the court. You, you're going to have to earn your minutes against veteran guys. I, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with Brown because they haven't had a pick that high since a long, for a long time they haven't had a pick as high as number three. Do you, how, how much opportunity is he going to get? You can't have a guy who is number three pick who has that much potential sitting on the bench doing nothing. And obviously he's going to play behind Jay Crowder. And Marcus Smart's going to get a lot of minutes off the bench. And Terry Rozier might get some perimeter minutes off the bench. Jalen Brown needs some minutes to develop. And I don't know what form that will take. I'm interested to see, like, is there pressure on Brad finally to play this kid? Or is he going to be able to say, you know what? Jalen Brown's not ready to give us great minutes. He's, he's not refined enough to help us the way we need it. And I'm going to sit him on the bench regardless of, you know, his, his slot in the lottery. And I'm interested to see that. And obviously he, he might come in and earn minutes and, and deserve everything he's given. But let's say he doesn't, and let's say he struggles at first. How long do they stick with him? I think that that's that's important because Jalen Brown's future is is big for the Celtics, and whoever they pick in 
next year's lottery is big for the Celtics, and developing these guys is going to be huge. And Stevens always says development comes off the court, yada, yada, yada. It comes with his trainer. It comes with the Celtics' assistant coaches. It comes with all that. But at some point, you, you need those reps on the court, and you benefit from those reps on the court. So I, I, think, I think that's something to watch, and I, I don't know how it'll work out, but definitely something to watch throughout Brown's rookie year. I think it really depends on how well he can play defensively. I'm just yep. like thinking about R.J. Hunter uh, a couple of times just missing rotations or making mistakes last year, and it kind of led to him quickly being pulled. So I think that this Stevens can live with kind of some offensive mistakes, but if you're not like fully bought into the team defensive concept, you're really you're not playable. So it'll athletically clearly Jalen Brown's right there, but it's how quickly he's able to pick up the scheme and not not make mistakes that I think will ultimately lead to his playing time. How much time do you think he's going to spend in in Maine with the Red Claws? We've seen. I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he spends time in Maine. Any, I feel like there's going to be some games, especially like early on in the season, if he, they don't trust him yet, they're going to want him to get some actual playing time. If he spends time in Maine, it's a. I don't think that's a good sign. I think you want your number three pick in Boston. You want him at least playing some minutes, whether it's maybe it's five or ten minutes a game. But with Evan Turner gone, with those 28 minutes to be spread around, the hope and I I think the expectation should be that Jalen Brown gets at least a slice of those minutes. And if he doesn't, then maybe he's not as far as he should be or as far as they hope to be. And it's, it's not the end of the world if he does go to Maine. And obviously, like, guys develop at different paces. And obviously, he, he's raw. He's a raw talent. We've known that entering the draft. We knew that after the Celtics picked him. We knew it in summer league, even when he played well. So it, it's not the, the worst thing in the world if he goes to Maine. But I do think, like, he's a number three pick, man. It, it's very, very rare that a guy that high goes to Maine. Although it is very rare that a guy that high plays on a team that won 48 games and has so much talent that like the Celtics do, so much depth. Just watch out for Gerald Green, man. Brad Stevens is, was scared of him, and now he's going to get <laughs> all those backup minutes at the small forward. Well, that's the thing. Like, Do you give, let's say Gerald Green is has a decent year. Like, like he's not as bad as he was last year, <laughs> and he's not as good as he was a few years ago in Phoenix. What do you do then? Do you, do you play him because he has the shooting potential that you need or do you say you know what Jalen Brown can help us in different ways let's go to him and I I think that 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 that's going to be a key decision for Stevens throughout the year and one thing that about Brown that that I like is that he does have the physicality to step in right away and I think he'll get steals right away I think he'll block some shots right away I think he can draw fouls and get to the hoop right away and obviously he's going to make some mistakes and he needs to develop in a lot of different areas including shooting including finishing including defensive awareness because all young guys except for Marcus Smart need to develop in defensive awareness when they hit the NBA including Marcus Smart but he was just way ahead of the curve compared to most guys but I think Jalen Brown has some tools that that will allow him to thrive in a smaller role as, as he adapts to the NBA and as he, he continues to grow throughout his career. I mean, yeah, ultimately we're talking about the backup small forward, so it could end up being if the Celtics take care of business on the with the starting lineups and 
it might not be end up having as big an impact as we're kind of signing to it right now, but it's definitely gonna be something to interesting to watch, especially early on in the year. Yeah, I would say that's like the biggest the biggest thing is who takes Evan Turner's minutes and how does that work out with Gerald Green, uh Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart, who I think he played twenty seven minutes per game last year. He could play four or five more. You know, like he, he could get some of those minutes and he'll definitely get some of Turner's ball handling responsibilities. So, yeah, j- just just something to watch. Another thing that we want to talk about, which was really cool. And this is awesome, man. This this was just a fantastic story. Isaiah Thomas saw a 14 year old kid shooting by himself at the park. And decided, like, he could have walked by. Nobody would have known it was Isaiah Thomas. It, he would have been like, oh, there's, like, some normal-looking dude walking by. Instead, Isaiah Thomas go, goes to him, surprises him, shoots around with him, takes a picture with him. Like, just a cool, cool move. And from a guy who's in the public eye all the time, he could be tired of talking to fans. He could be tired of of having so much so many guys saying oh can i get your autograph can i take this picture with you instead he goes up to this random kid and he says can i can i shoot around with you and just that that's a memory that kid will cherish forever like i i, I played one time i played one-on-one against vinnie del negro vinnie del negro vinnie del negro was not an all-star definitely not an all-star like isaiah thomas is i played one-on-one against him at his camp and i can still remember it to this day i was probably like Six years old. It's one of my first memories. And I lost 2-1. <laughs> but, but, like, I scored. He let me score. And that, that, that stuck with me. Like, Vinny Del Negro, I will always appreciate the opportunity. Even though, like, it was at a camp, he, he kind of had to, to engage with me. Isaiah Thomas didn't have to do this. Super cool of him. I don't know what else you have to add, but that was just awesome. Well, it's a really cool story because I know exactly he was at St. Peter's Field in Cambridge, like a field I've or courts I've played again multiple times. Underrated part of the story is that he initially came out of wherever he was with his wife and saw some dudes playing softball and said he wanted to take some hacks. And his <laughs> wife was like, "Isaiah, I do not think that's a great idea. Why don't you go play with that little kid over there?" So seems like Isaiah just had some extra energy after having like a parent-teacher conference. But it's just it's another thing that like Celtics fans. Just love Isaiah. We were talking about the kind of connection Philadelphia had with AI. And it, it feels like that's the type of relationship that's building with Isaiah and the fans in Boston, where if Isaiah was ever to take this team to be even to the finals or just to some great success, he's going to be forever loved in this city because he's the type of guy who just really connects with the fans. He's really down to earth. Maybe it's something about short point guards that people just love because they're the, the underdog story. But it's just in the, kind of another chapter and kind of – Isaiah becoming one of the one of the fan favorites uh, in Boston. Yeah, we've talked about this before. He just embraces everything that comes with being an All Star caliber player. He has so much energy to give back to fans and go to community events, and you know, he, and he gives back. Like he goes on social media when he when he meets with Allen Iverson. You know, he could have kept that to himself. Instead, he like shows sends a picture of the autograph to a real killer which is an awesome awesome line in an autograph 
to a real killer from Allen Iverson to Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah Thomas shares that with us. And he, he like, geeks out about it and, because he's still that fan. And he just has so much energy. He he's a, really has an infectious spirit, you know. And he embraces everything that comes with being a great player, like recruiting. He loved it. Like, every single aspect. He, he trains, like, super hard. Just everything you would ever want a great player to do for your franchise he does he's just a great ambassador for the celtics and now that kid has you know another story that he'll tell for the for the rest of his life or and it's just a great story man like <laughs> just think, imagine that like like I, I i can't even imagine if i was a kid and back back then paul pierce is my favorite player if i was just shooting around and Paul Pierce came up to me and was like, "Yeah, can I, can I shoot with you?" Like, yeah, no, <laughs> no shit, you can shoot around with me. You're Paul Pierce, man. Like, <laughs> you can steal my ball if you want to. Like, you can you can have my car if you want. Like, do you want to dunk on me? I'll just stand there. You can dunk on me. <laughs> yeah, like whatever you want to do, Paul. Like, do it, man. You're, you're you're the star here. So awesome story. That kid is really really lucky that camera phones exist because if he went into school the next day and claimed that he played with Isaiah Thomas <laughs> at St. Peter's Field, no one would believe him. Yeah, no one. They would have been like, "Yeah, okay, man. Like Isaiah Thomas just showed up when you were alone at the park and it just happened to be the night none of the rest of us wanted to play because it was a little rainy out." Yeah, okay, man. Thanks this for bring, trying. This brings up a question for actually it was on hashtag Raining Jays. If you want to ask us questions, I like it. Use hashtag Raining Jays. This is from Stefan Taylor at Celtics for Life. With everything that he's done, Isaiah's done. Is it time to make him the new captain of the kind of the post Big Three Rondo era? Do you think they would make Thomas the captain, and do you think that would be the right move? So I I I think Brad Stevens is kind of against naming captains. And I say that because he said he doesn't really like having captains. And obviously, they had Rondo as a captain after Stevens got there. I think that was that might have been just trying to keep Rondo happy while while he was on a bad team, and there were trade rumors everywhere. To me, and this is just my belief, if you name a captain, that's like saying, okay, this is our leader. That stops other guys maybe from demonstrating as much leadership as they could have. And I think, I think Stevens wants to give everybody the chance to be a leader. And he, he wants all 15 players to have those leadership qualities. So I would doubt that they have a captain. But if they did have one, it would be like short list would be Isaiah, Jay, Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart. And Al Horford's supposed to be like the perfect teammate. Uh, I mean, you, there are a lot of options. There would be a lot of options at captain. So uh, to me, I, I don't think you should name a captain. Just have everybody be leaders and 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 stick with it like that. It 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 worked well for last year's team, and you don't you don't want to have that like like hierarchy. I don't think you you just want everybody to grow into whatever leadership role naturally that they deserve. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the captains, you don't need to name them because they'll basically, they'll be de facto captains. Like we already know just from being in the locker room last year that it was Isaiah and it was his Jay if there was going to be like someone needed to say something. And you imagine that Al Horford is going to come in and kind of be a natural leader and a veteran in the locker room. There's no reason to explicitly say it. The 15 guys in that room know who the leaders on that team are. Um, 
I asked a couple of guys like who the who the leader was or who the captain was, and they said it kind of changes from situation to situation. But you can just kind of tell with personalities that everyone's going to have a kind of a different leadership moment and different leadership styles. And you don't really need to put that artificial hierarchy in with like like you said. I, I would agree that there's it would be a nice thing to do for Isaiah, but I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, and yeah, I, I'm with you 100. percent And there's just so, so many guys that that could be captains. Like, like really, Al Horford is supposed to be one of the greatest teammates in the NBA, and he plays perfect team basketball, and he sets a, an example. Jay Crowder, like, like that guy's balls to the wall 100 percent of the time. Another good leader. I, I, I just think you should let everybody be leaders, and I think that's what Stevens wants to do. Uh, yeah, and I think I think that's the show, man. That that's a good place to end. Talking about all the leaders the Celtics have. If you guys want to, if you want to listen to us, you know where to subscribe: iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, wherever else you listen to podcasts. Search for Locked On Celtics. Subscribe to us. Give us a five star rating. Write about how Sam is the greatest fill-in co-host of all jam. time jam sam jam sam jam i, I kind of like sam jam sam uh, jam sounds like a like a, a pro-am i would put on in the summer for local youth yeah the sam jam pro-am i like that there you go <laughs> i'm all in on the sam jam experience you guys should be all in on the sam jam experience too and we'll talk to you next time on the locked on celtics podcast part of the locked on podcast It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.